When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm, I'm, I think I'm rustier than the players. How do I normally do this podcast? I, I have my... Okay, this is what we're going to do. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to an, another season. Another... Are we still in the same season? I don't know what's going on. To help me make sense of it, longtime friend of the show... Mr. Steve Jones Jr. coming to you from a, a bunker somewhere in the United States. Steve, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Good to have you. That's funny you said that, though, in the intro. My wife literally did not know if this was the same season or the next season. Mm. And so I was trying to explain it to her. It didn't go so great. But she's got it now. I I personally don't know if it's <laughs> the same season. That's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you about this restart first of all how how have you been have you been safe and sound there's like 19 things going on in the world between the last time we spoke and the last time basketball in the nba was actually playing games that counted and today here at the end of july uh i am in texas so i'm being as responsible as i can mask limited going out unless i absolutely need something wash my hands, everything I can to just protect others and just respect others. So I'm good. My whole family's good, so we're good here. Um, but yeah, it's it's a wild world. But I'm glad to be here with you today because yeah. it didn't seem like we'd be potting no. anytime soon. <laughs> did. The, the potting seemed unlikely. Um, <laughs> have you been watching? I assume, I know you've been watching from the from your Twitter activity. What are your general impressions uh, let's start with the production quality, the whole experience that they've set up with the with the people on the screen in the background and kind of the playing defense music for the home team. Have you been satisfied with the uh, with the production so far? I've loved the production, um, yes. mainly mainly because the camera angle hasn't been touched yet. So yeah. that was the number one goal for me. And once I saw, hey, this is going to look normal. Everything else I could build up from. So I, I've liked the feel of the bubble. I like the LED screens. I think you can add a little bit of home court. I know the court looks plain uh, outside of the Black Lives Matter. It's a plain court, but I think that's significant. I think it's a good contrast. Every team jerseys kind of pop. Um, I've liked the elements of each home team, you know, not just their um, – signage on the led boards but they've got chance like the spurs had a go spurs go thing yeah which is weird in an empty arena but it made it comfortable when you're watching it. it's like okay this is a spurs home game i think those little tweaks are really great i think the virtual thing fans thing i get it i totally understand why they're doing it i it doesn't do anything for me i didn't even well, notice it it took me like five minutes of watching the game to realize that they had, and are those are those recorded people? Are they pictures? I, I don't even I don't even know. Do you know? It looks like a bunch of people who are bored. 
And well, like I'm not even like they don't they don't stand out from each other from when you're watching the game and they all are making like the face you ever like been scrolling through your phone and you realize the front camera's on and you see your face? Yeah. That's what they look like. Well and, But I think that works in the sense that it's very muted, right? Like Yeah. I don't think I think you wanna create subtle little things without it being a distraction. And when I finally realized what the heck was going on on that board, because I think on day one, the opening scrimmages on day one didn't have any of that. It was something else on the LED screens in the background. And they've kind of switched to that as things have gone on. Yeah, they've been sneaking little things in game by game. So they had nothing the first day. But now they've got like projected logos and on the baseline, they'll like digitally put the team name in there. And then I saw one with sponsors on there. So They've been using these scrimmages to throw some things out there to see what's going on. And as long as it's not the camera angles they keep throwing out there, I'm fine. (laughs) Was the baseline one that I think the Clippers game had it the other day where it was you were it was almost reminded me of the um, the NCAA tournament when they scroll the camera along the side of the floor that they have elevated. Is that one okay for you or is that pushing it too much? It's cool. Like it's a cool angle. It's I'll an alternative. It's alternative, right? It's cool when yeah. the players bringing the ball up. It's really cool when stuff starts happening. It's awful. Yes, yes. it's awful. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I can appreciate what they're trying to go for and also say I don't like it. I don't like it. I can't see anything. I think like Paul George got a, the ball and dribbled, and it was like, wait, how'd that happen? They <laughs> they figured out in basketball a long time ago. They they may not have figured out the box score they may not have figured out a bunch of things historically but that camera angle at midcourt allows you to see so much and yeah there's some depth and subtlety around things in the paint and stuff that you can't always pick up without a second angle but back in the 70s and 80s somebody thought it was a great idea to constantly switch to a baseline camera every time someone came down the court and you just can't see anything from these angles down on the floor most of the time with guys that are you know six and a half seven feet tall bunched up running into each other so i'm with you the camera angle was my thing and i was begging for a minimalist court i think basketball looks spectacular against the minimalist court and without the paint being colored you can see more action uh, specifically with the ball where a lot of little hand jostling and movement and slapping mm-hmm. at the ball is taking you can see that really clearly from that angle with a with a minimalist court so those are my two things i'm i'm everything else is gravy just don't mess it up what do you think about the baseline the naked baseline the completely yep. empty baseline mm-hmm. it was a little much at first like that act that space almost made me uncomfortable i was like wow there's like nothing there but now i kind of love it I think it's pretty neat. I think it kind of like spotlights the court in like a theatrical yeah. sense in a way. Yeah. Now, I, th- I I think the league is going to throw some stuff on there, like logos or whatever. But I still think just the width and the way the lighting hits. Right. It's, it's right. pretty neat. Like I just I've, I've been a fan of what they're doing. They have music. They have chants. Um, some of the virtual chants will, I don't want the fake crowd noise necessarily, but it's been basketball and it's been fun and it's been some glitz to it. So I'm with it. I don't think you need fake crowd noise. I've, I've said this since seeing the opening scrimmage. If you watch Olympic sports that don't have a huge crowd, 
Uh, water polo has this sometimes. Just one popping into my head. Volleyball can have it. If you, how did wa- how did water polo pop up first? That's a really good question. I don't know. I'm just curious. Like, I, there's no judgment. Water polo is great. I think the because they just don't. It's a sport that really never has like a crowd that fills up the sound when you watch it. You usually hear the swimming and the slapping and the ball and things like that. So I just think any of these Olympic sports, if you've followed an Olympic run through a tournament like that, the excitement and the energy from just watching the sport is really palpable. You're you're sitting at home with other people around the world watching this event from far away. And that's what the feel of the bubble has to me. And I don't think in that sense... It needs crowd noise, and I'm actually really excited to see when the intensity picks up, how that comes off the screen. Because it's like those dream team practices in Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. Like, oh like yeah, that is, there's something spectacularly raw about that. Where yes, we're used to the experience having fans, but I, I think it just works on its own. So we'll, we'll see what they do. But that's kind of where I'm I'm at right now. I agree, and I have one last thing about the bubble and the production. I think they've done an amazing job of mixing the audio for the most part. There's enough of a delay. We don't really hear anything. You know what I mean? Were, were like, you were you hoping to hear more? I was. I'm, I'm always hoping because I'm a nerd about this stuff. But <laughs> um, I was thinking there might be an issue. Ref conversations, play yeah, calls, yeah, yeah. all yeah. that good stuff. They they've given us the squeaks which seemed to overpower a lot of the chatter yep. without it feeling like they're doing it on purpose, which I give, I tip my hat to the league for that because they're giving you the experience without giving you all the stuff that potentially might not work out well for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, is, that is No, that's a fantastic point. I didn't even really, it was so subtle. Like that's what I'm saying. Some of these things have been so subtle that you don't really notice it. And that's a key to, Uh, putting on an experience like that i do have to say steve that those december games in cold weather cities they don't have as many anymore but in the 2000s and the 90s and the 80s you find one of these old games and you can hear everything on the court you can hear every play (laughs) call you can hear every player at the rim with the baseline camera picking up you know whatever oh take that layup you know oh i let's just say i fill up my portfolio of notes that starts (laughs) happening so (laughs) <laughs> that's good stuff all right like let's it. let's talk about the basketball um i haven't seen too much so i'm gonna lean on you which i think is probably a good idea anyway what are your general impressions of the quality what you see out there i mean are you yeah go ahead i'm pleasantly surprised i, I i'll be honest i didn't have a feel on what we were gonna see i didn't know if we were gonna see an enhanced summer league i didn't know if we were gonna see you know, rust on offense or defense. I wasn't sure. And I think each team is kind of displayed. You know, it's not perfect basketball. I'm not going to say that. Um, defensively, teams are trying to catch up. Offensively, trying to get back to that execution. But for the most part, things have been kind of rolling similarly. You're getting pick and rolls. You're getting transition. Um, it's not just one-on-one. Teams are trying to execute things. Teams are moving the ball. And the the basketball has been at a higher quality than I expected mm, coming in. Yep. And that's just in scrimmages, too. So the buildup should be better. So by the time we get to the playoffs, I would assume all systems will be going. But I've been surprised. It's been fun to watch a lot of these games. Obviously, they're scrimmages. Um, Second halves may not matter as much, all that good stuff. But some of the things we've seen have been high quality. 
um, on both ends. You know, not every defense has been great, but you can see them trying to get back in the groove and not looking completely rusty uh, with some of these things. I I thought it was going to be bad, and it's been way better. I was a little concerned about the 1999 NBA lockout sort of redux. Do you remember what happened after the the lockout that year i don't know if you i don't know if i always age myself with how far back in time no i remember you thought you were getting a bunch of sean kemp's right yeah that's <laughs> if you're not familiar with what happened to sean kemp in that offseason um go go hit the google up uh yeah i i was a little concerned that there would be more out of shapeness to the game and i think to your point it looks really similar just you know it looks like the preseason it looks like guys are ramping back up into shape and they're a little slower and um, some players may have some material changes either in their body or their game we'll we'll talk about that in a minute but I do think it's been pretty similar now I got a list of questions here that I wanted to fire off and get your take on and the first one is whether this is more like a new season because of the huge layoff four months or whatever or is it more like we briefly hit pause on the same season and we're right back to where we were? Uh, that's a good question. I like the way you phrased that. I'm leaning closer to we briefly hit pause um, just because the teams are still trying to do a lot of the same things they were doing. Um, and they're not trying to revamp. They're not trying to redo a bunch of stuff. I, it, it is a new season in that sense, because these guys are coming back together. But as they come together, they're hitting those same notes they were before. You know, I I take a team like Memphis, for example, in that first scrimmage game, they didn't look anything like themselves offensively. They looked like everything was slow, stagnant. And then you fast forward, they played against Miami, and now John Morant's going off, the ball's moving, they're executing. So I think it's the same season. It's just going to take these teams a little bit of time to kind of – I guess, in a sense, find their way to the freeway, if that makes sense. Yeah. How many kind of new wrinkles or changes to an offense or defense could you put in as a staff, given that, you know, that I think that's the big difference, right? You have time, you have a couple months off in the offseason, which might be the same thing. But in that case, you're working together to try to build something up here players were quarantined they're isolated coaches are isolated how much can you put in in four months that's actually going to make a team look materially different now here's the here's the funny part because i know coaches had a million ideas during this quarantine but i've been impressed by their ability to not put all those things in (laughs) yeah and like that's a key part like i was part of me was wondering whenever the nba comes back how many teams are just going to take what they had and mess it up because they had a bunch of ideas while they were off. And for the most part, no one's really done that. Um, It's difficult in this setting to really revamp everything because you have to try and get guys ready. So you don't really have the time to put anything new in when you have to spend that time reintroducing what you already do. Um, Mm. So I think that's key. And I, I think there's been some little tweaks from certain teams. I know for the Clippers, it's been my big takeaway. And I've been watching them um, just really trying to get Paul George going. So putting more sets in for him. But that doesn't necessarily change their dynamic. You know, it's not like they're running something completely new. Right. Houston running a little bit more movement 
it's not like it's something completely new. It's probably just something they wanted to put in, but probably couldn't in the dregs of the regular season. You know what I mean? So it's those kind of tweaks where I think coaches are seeing, hey, I want to add this to it, kind of prioritizing it and trying to sneak something in to help their team get better rather than, hey, we need to do something different. Yeah, well, you never know with Houston what kind of mad science is going to come out of the experiment or the uh, Game of Zones dungeon. You know, maybe maybe they have an ace up their sleeve um, where they, I don't know, start running offense with everyone starting in the backcourt or something. <laughs> you, know, you, never, you never know what you're going to get from them. Hey, we should also mention that with basketball coming back, this episode is sponsored by The Athletic. If you go to theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod right now, you get a free trial, a discount on the subscription price. If you're not familiar with them, they have a bunch of great writers, John Hollinger, Seth Partnow, a bunch of friends of the show here. And also they go really deep on team-specific coverage, so you'll get a look at the Celtics, the Bucks, all these guys inside the bubble Doing great work there. Once again, theathletic.com slash thinkingbasketballpod. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, now let's get back to the conversation. I think in general, I'm with you. My two little notes I jotted down to myself on this question were, in a normal new season, you've got roster continuity that changes and that fundamentally changes your equation. And of course, coaching continuity that also can fundamentally change your equation and here none of those things basically have turned over for the most part you know a few bench pieces have been replaced for guys not coming into the bubble and that's understandable but I think in that sense I'm with you my other big sort of question about this is it a new season idea is what can young players do and by young here let's say under 22 or 23 uh, what can we expect to see from any of them in terms of growth because typically in an offseason you're a young player you play your rookie year your sophomore year then you go back to the drawing board and you synthesize all the stuff you learned and that's where we see like huge steps up the aging curve right so Mm -hmm. can anyone you i don't know john morant zion williamson even luka Doncic, who would be going into his third year can anyone or do you expect anyone kind of in that vein to make a huge jump or some significant improvement that changes the playoff landscape a little bit i don't know if it'll change the playoff landscape and i'll build up on that but i think to your point this is a good opportunity for a lot of young guys i saw a tweet the other day i don't know who did it so if you hear this i'm sorry but it said john morant can make a um a sophomore leap in this first season right which he really can right because he played he got all that data. He had time to think the game and now he can come back and prove. And that's an opportunity for him. I think with certain teams, say Washington, for example, you got to go with a guy like Troy Brown, where he gets a chance to carry a larger load than normal in a regular setting. That isn't just, you know, it's not summer league you know, this is actual basketball with actual basketball players that can help him. So I think if you're a younger guy in this league, this is a great opportunity. If you can get the minutes, So that's going to be the tricky part. Certain teams are trying to ramp up for the playoffs. Certain teams are kind of there. So I think this is a good opportunity for guys on, how do I say this, lower-seeded teams (laughs) to possibly kind of make a move, make a leap, try some things. And it's a good environment because it's just basketball. 
You know, there's no distractions. There's nothing else. This is a familiar environment. If you played AAU or anything like that, you're going to go out there and hoop. So, you know, I was watching the Pelicans. They were playing like they were playing. And a lot of those young guys look better than they had before. Hmm. And I think the environment has something to do with that. But the opportunity for those guys to just go out there and hoop and make the most of it. Like a guy like, I guess I have to say his name because we're talking about the bubble. Bull Bull. (laughs) Bull Bull probably doesn't make this leap if everything's regular. Right? He probably doesn't get the same opportunity. But he gets a chance to go play. He can go out there, play with freedom. And now you can see the things he does. So I think if you're a young guy, those scrimmages are really important. One, to try and get in the rotation as things tighten up. And two, just to go out there and prove it to yourself that you can go ahead and accomplish these things on the court. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it does seem like it's an experience if you're a young guy to go there. You get significant minutes that you might get at the end of you know you get that garbage time at the end of a season the last couple weeks where guys are shut down and things like Mm -hmm. that but to your point in this case you're sitting inside this physical bubble space with just basketball 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 no distractions and you even get to be around i mean i haven't heard too much about this so if you have please share but just the ability to be around other basketball players like you would in a summer league environment or a camp environment or something like that when you're younger, uh, you would have to think that that could possibly lead to more growth or um, osmosis of learning, right? Like you're just around guys Mm -hmm. all day and maybe picking up tricks or being more saturated in a basketball environment. You tell me, I haven't heard anything about this in terms of cross mingling. I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know how much they've cross-mingled. I don't know the rules on that, but I think it can only help you. I mean, even just as, as a base, being around your teammates, being around your coaches, that's going to help pump you up. Yeah. And then, you know, playing a game, being able to review it, being able to sit with it in a different way than when you're able to go home, you know, and kind of press pause and move away from it. Guys can do that in the bubble, but uh, it's just a little different. I think it's going to help some young guys. Now, some guys may not be ready for the experience. Some guys may not be able to get the most opportunity out of it because of their team situation. But for the most part, you know, I'd even add a guy like Dante DiVincenzo. I think this is a great environment for him. He's had a great year, but he's still a young guy. And now he gets to continue to play for a playoff team using what he learned in the first half of the season and applying it to the second half. I think that's the biggest point with me with these young guys. Mm. Any other young guys before we move off of them that you think you've either you've either seen have some significant growth from the layoff or you think are in a a nice position here to get experience that could possibly level them up i mean you probably go team for team if you think about it but i think a guy like lonzo lonzo ball this will help him this will help him be able to play basketball at a high level and continue the growth that he had this year um, I said Troy Brown. I said Bull Bull to get that out of the way. Um, any, think, like any other guys who have jumped out to you that are young coming off the layoff and you catch a scrimmage and you go, oh, he added like uh, not that I would actually pick this guy, but I saw a second of the Celtics scrimmage the other day where they're playing their bench guys and Grant Williams added a turnaround. I don't know if he'll ever use it, but he clearly was working on a pivoted turnaround kind of mid post move and he 
you know, busted it out a couple times. So Tyler, Tyler Hero. Okay. Tyler Hero was someone who showed me something in the scrimmages where I was like, okay, he's taking something that he learned and moving it in the right direction as far as operating and pick and roll. But the tricky part is it's not just the young guys. Like Donovan Mitchell is has learned some things and he's applying it on the court. And that's pretty cool to see. Well, that's a great segue. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Does he count as a young guy? Well, no, it's it's a guy. perfect segue blurring the lines into my next question, which is the key players that you think are helped by the layoff. And this could, of course, be injury. It could be healing up your body. But it could be exactly what you just said, where, you know, you pick up some tricks, you have time off, you come back and you see something. You say, oh, OK, Mitchell, he's better at taking that angle or making that pass or whatever. Any other key players that you think most of these teams are going to be in the playoffs. So, um, you know, among these teams who have been helped by the layoff. A lot of guys have looked refreshed. And so like Paul George jumps off the page every time I watch him play, he looks healthy. He looks right. He looks mentally good to go. And he's playing that way. Um, Donovan Mitchell, obviously, I think he's adding some things in pick and roll and starting to slow the game down a little bit. Mike Conley, is a guy for Utah who's looked mm. really, really aggressive over the first three scrimmages. And that's really important for them because an aggressive Mike Conley is a different Mike Conley. And I don't think Utah has seen the Mike Conley that they maybe expected. I don't think he's played poorly. I wouldn't say that about Mike, but I don't think he's hit his ceiling either. So um, I think a guy like John, he's taken what he's learned and is applying it now. Um, I think this is something that can help. And I'll even go left field. A guy like Reggie Jackson. He you, has the you, you have been hitting the Clippers hard. I, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's weird. But Reggie Jackson is someone who can now take his talents to this environment in a low-risk environment and just play. You know? Um, I, I've been I've been stunned by how refreshed guys look. Like they Everyone looks like they feel better and they're just playing that way. Hmm. Um, you know, even Rudy Gobert. You got, I mean, I could name Dion Waiters, J.R. Smith. Guys look good, man. <laughs> J.R. Smith looked physically better than I thought he was going to look. But may, you know what, Steve? Maybe that's quarantine life. Maybe that's the <laughs> slowing, right? The slowing down and just the simplifying of things and uh, all, all the stuff that comes with that. Really quickly on Conley, do you think at the begin or i guess for a huge chunk of i almost said last year a huge chunk of this season as it was going on earlier do you think that that was injury age fit rust what what do you think was going on there where at first it just seemed like he started in a slump but clearly didn't really look like the mike conley of old uh, in utah i think it was like a perfect storm of all of that honestly like that team's been through a little bit more than people acknowledge, but I, I just think he was trying to find his rhythm. He was trying to find his spots on that team. It's a, the ball moves offensively. So it's, it's, he's a team player. So perhaps he wasn't picking his spots as much. Perhaps he was playing for the pass, maybe passing up shots. Um, the Mike Conley I saw in these three games was being aggressive, coming off pick and roll. You go under, I'm taking a shot. Mm. Seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, kick to him he's taking the shot and that's important so i think uh it's a combination of all those things that you stated and just 
being with a new team, like that's tough. You know, I mean, that's tough adjustment, battling through injury, battling through age, battling through a roster that's going up and down. Um, but I think if he can find his footing, which I think he's shown he can, um, sky's the limit for him in the Jazz. All right, let's flip the question. Has anyone looked worse to you or looked like they've been hurt by the layoff? Well, again, whether that's age or they didn't take care of their body or their game is just completely rusty or whatever, uh, you choose. But anyone kind of cutting in the other direction for you? Dwight Howard. Really? Yes. And not in a horrific way. Just he's the first thing that jumps off because the big question mark with Dwight was can he adjust to this role, right? Mm-hmm. And then he did it. Yeah. You know, he showed up every day. He Overwhelming. Defended, yeah. He rebounded. He was consistent with it. It wasn't a problem. And then when I watched a couple of those games in the scrimmages, the breakdowns were there. On the, def- on the defensive end. Okay. On the defensive yep. end, which yep. is a key to what he brings to the table as far as protecting the rim, being in the right place, being able to do multiple things, pick and roll. Don't get me wrong. Dwight has been great this year. He's ex- exceeded all the ex- expectations I had for him as far as being able to protect the paint, mul- apply multiple pick and roll coverages. So he's not just been in the drop. He's been active. But in the scrimmages, it's kind of felt – I don't know if he was disengaged or if the layoff hurt him, but it, it, there was times where he was just helping too much, not up in the right place, too worried about his man. And those are the type of things that – for that team, he specifically can't do, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, entirely. Uh, how w- how do you think that would, if he kind of regressed, if you will, if he if he didn't play like he was playing before the pause, how do you think that would affect the Lakers deep in the playoffs? Uh, probably change their lineups. They'll probably have to go with AD more at the five. Yeah. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you're good. I was just going to interject on that specific point. They're at about uh, 35, 36 minutes a game, I think, with JaVale and Howard eating up center minutes. And then, you know, AD gets, theoretically, in a game, he gets the rest of those minutes. So you would lose about half of that. Howard and JaVale both play in that, like, 15 to 20 minute uh, per game range right now. So that would be a... I think a fairly significant lineup shift if the only other guy to eat up those minutes would be AD. Yeah, I I just think that's the secret sauce of the Lakers right now. They can beat you with a big in the lineup, and then they can also throw AD at the five and go smaller. Yeah, you know what I mean. Of course. And so if if Dwight isn't hitting on all cylinders, now all of a sudden that opens things up. Maybe that lineup's not as strong. Maybe you go smaller earlier. Maybe you play Javale more. You never know, but. For them to really hit their peak, he has to be a part of it. Because when he's good, they, they look really, really good. So my original kind of thinking when forced to choose in the hallway series between the Clippers and the Lakers was that if that series takes place, which it looked like it was going to, still looks like it probably will, that the Lakers had an inherent advantage playing all seven games in the Staples Center, where... I would anticipate most of those games would have a kind of Laker home court feel, whatever comes with that. And now that's completely off the table. So I can't fall back on that as part of the assessment. How do you, uh, let's make it more generalized, if you will. How does the fact that there's no crowd and kind of no traditional quote unquote 
home court advantage change things for you heading into this? See, that's a really good question. And I've been trying to wrap my head around it because that environment could lead to a team finding something in the bubble. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Tell tell like, tell tell everyone more about that. I think well, I'm I was, vibing with it, you. This started with I was watching the Pelicans and they got a younger team and their bench was clapping. They were really into it. And I was like, man, I'm a game away from thinking the Pelicans could make some sort of noise mm. just because it's just basketball and they're all together. So that led me to think, okay, who could this really help? You got a Houston where you have James Harden in an empty gym. Keep going. Go look up James Harden in an empty gym. (laughs) You mean mean he's very comfortable in that environment? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no way to calculate for who that helps and who that hurts. So if you talk about the Lakers and the Clippers, there's no home court. You got to win. You got to. There's no travel. No, you have to win these games. It's a little BYOC, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to bring your own energy. You got to bring your own game. You got to go out there and get it done. So I think that um, that helps, but it also hurts in the sense that, you know, in a playoff series, maybe someone makes an adjustment, wins their home games. You go, go back home and you have that confidence where, hey, we're back home. We can figure some things out. Mm. No, you're, you're in the same place Yeah, where the same team has beaten you twice. What are you going to do to figure it out? There's no one to really rally you other than yourselves. So I think that's going to have an impact that we haven't seen yet. But <sighs> It's gonna be fun to watch, man. It's get you just you're getting me so jazzed up. You're getting me inappropriately <laughs> excited, and I think, I think this is where the Olympic parallel comes in for me. Got you. And if you're a listener and you're not like huge into the Olympics, either winter or summer, um, you'll just have to kind of take our word for it. There's there's like a vibe or an energy that you can get in environments like this, and so in this case, it would be the tournament where. You play that game, game one or game two or whatever, and every day you just keep coming back to the same gym, the same thing. You have to you have to bring all your own stuff. And of course, part of the beauty of basketball is that balance, that never-ending balance between individualism and collectivism, finding how to fit as a single entity on a team unit that can become something greater than the sum of its parts. And that's where I think, Steve, you get into like, oh, the the bench is connected. The coaches are connected. Everyone's on the same page. They just become like a single living organism. And not only does that play out when things are clicking, but it plays out when you lose that game. And now there's no, oh, we're going back to our home beds. We're going back to our home crowds. We're going back to whatever officiating influence comes with that. Now you just have to go back to the same gym every day and kind of muster it up from your whatever strategy tactics you have and go from there. Yeah, I'm 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 going to let you talk now cuz I need a breather. <laughs> well, I had a question for you actually. Oh and no. And I wonder, I wonder do you think and are you ready for the bubble creating a debate about momentum? Mm. What are just, you, are you are you prepared for that? So you you're thinking if a team gets hot. Mhm then and that kind of continues maybe like i don't know an ncaa tournament run or something people then crediting that to the bubble yes are you ready for that are you ready for that discussion i mean i wrote about this in thinking basketball i think anything that looks like a pattern people can spin into a narrative so 
there will inevitably be a team, right? It's more statistically likely that a team is hot and wins four or five, six games in a row at some point, right? True. Okay. I agree. Okay. So with that said, I think you're going to have a narrative that maybe is run based on that just to latch on to the pattern. But if you're asking me, do I think that's a conversation that could be legitimate in some cases? Uh, I would think, yeah. I mean, I think there's a little like college tournament, you know, you're kind of, you're on your own, you're traveling around. In this case, they're staying in a place which can be very intimate. And yeah, I think, I think it's the kind of, psychology of that could be a subtle factor that uh, bubbles up. I see what I did there. Ah, that was well done. <laughs> I like that. Plus two points for you. I was just curious because I was thinking in my head, let's say Portland goes on a run and they tear these seeding games up and then they earn their way to the eighth seed yep. by beating Memphis twice. There's going to be a whole group of people who say Portland's going to beat the Lakers in the first round. And it's going to be, it would be based off momentum. I'm trying to prepare for takes. That's that's my thing. I see. I'm not. I I I'm not ready for takes. I'm to be honest with you. I'm never ready for any takes that I see. <laughs> uh, so I mean, we that's an entirely separate conversation. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a little thrown by most of the stuff that that I see as a take. But Portland. I mean, we look. Steve Jones is on the podcast. We have to stop on Portland at some point. That's they, fair. They. I mean, I, I like to drink their Kool-Aid. Collins is back. Nurkic is back. They, they, that just seems to change the entire dynamic of the roster. They still have their issues, but, you know, you throw Dame Lillard and CJ, and do you think that they have a legit chance, let's not say to beat the Lakers per se, but at least get hot and make a run? And, and to maybe more of the way I would frame things, significantly outperform where they were as a team. I think there's potential for it because, you know, they're healthier. They almost got a darn new lineup. If you think about it, if Nurkic back, Zach Collins back, who can play four and five, you play those two together, you have two bigs, uh, you still have shooting, you still have spacing. So I think they, they have the ingredients to make a push and make a run, and that's not really a team you necessarily want to see. I don't think anyone wants to sign up for Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's how I feel about it. But um, I'm always I, seduced by the Pacific Northwest, so I need to be. Well, that's that's good. You should. <laughs> but also you have like Mello. Mello in the bubble. Like Mello's going to have a big game in the bubble. That's probably as hot of a take as you're going to get from me. But at some point, Mello's going to have a huge game. I don't know when it's going to happen. So He's going to score 30. So – I, I actually would buy that. Um, it seems like you're, if I'm reading the tea leaves right, you kind of think that guys who like a little bit more empty gym, pick up, free-flowing run, you see them in the off-season or they'll show up on Instagram because they stopped at the park. Like, like if Kevin Durant were in the bubble, it seems like you think those guys will get a boost from this environment. I have a theory, and it could be disproven. But I have a theory those guys are going to be very comfortable, especially if they're not a guy who are going to get double teamed, schemed against, anything like that, heavy on pick and roll. There's a chance that, say, Carmelo hits a couple buckets in a row, they keep feeding him the ball. 
he could get really hot. Now, that might not happen because, you know, they're still executing sets. They're still trying to move the ball, get everything going. But if that does happen, that's going to add a huge layer to these teams. And I don't think there's any better example than James Harden, who I think, what do you mean, eight threes yesterday against Boston? Seven in the first half. I, I don't know after that what happened. But, like, that's it's all based off him, honestly. It's all based on how he's looking right now. And that could change if teams double and all that good stuff. But there's a comfort level with just going out there and playing. All right. It's an interesting theory. The naysayer to at least the Harden the Harden example yesterday would be that he was only comfortable because he was playing against, you know, deep reserves that the Celtics trotted out there instead of their regular team. And, you know, that uh, kind of opened up more easy chances for him. And James Harden is spectacular at abusing weak and vulnerable defenses. And <laughs> has, been, has been for a while. Um, is there a team that you think... And maybe maybe it's the Lakers with Avery Bradley. I don't know. Is there a team that you think has been significantly dented by one of their guys not coming into the bubble? Ooh, that's a good question. I just thought of it right now. You just popped that. Just off. popped it up. Yeah, that's a good one right there. Signif- I mean, I could cop out and say Brooklyn. Is that fair? No, that's not fair. <laughs> okay, that's that's what I thought. Um, Indiana. What Ooh, they've got going on with Sabonis, that's not great. No. Um, that's because that just fundamentally alters their team on the fly, which isn't really ideal. Um, I think the Zion being out for the scrimmages, and I hope everything is all right with him, I think that didn't help the Pelicans in a sense because they didn't get to reintegrate one of their biggest weapons back in. So they may have to go through another period of that. Um, hmm. Do it would, I mean, is that the kind of thing that could break up the kind of flow state you're talking about where the Pelicans, they're, they're playing together, they've got maybe a little momentum, they're connecting in the bubble, and then you have to reintegrate a, a new piece like that? Uh, I think having to do it on the fly is going to be interesting. I mean, they've hmm. already done it once, but there's a huge layoff that you have to account for and now you got to get your flow back. He's obviously going to help the team, but you just wonder what the adjustment period is going to be. Um, I'm trying to think now. That's a good question. The Spurs should have probably been number one. Yeah. They have no bigs now. So, like, they went from experimenting with small ball to having to play small ball. So that's, like, a whole different thing. But other than that... Who do you got? I'm interested to hear your answer. I, I you know, I don't know. The, the one that popped into my head about the Lakers was really the thing that fueled it because I think for the really key teams at the top, and maybe I'm just blanking on who the, you know, like Toronto, Boston, those teams, they're still bringing everyone that's significant, right? Whereas the Lakers of the kind of inner circle title contenders before we took the break, Clippers, Lakers, Bucks, teams like that, I think even though he's more of a specialist and even though he was playing what, 20, 25 minutes a game tops just off the top of my head, mm-hmm. losing Bradley and those minutes and that versatility with the way they like to defend. Uh, I just did this summer pretty deep defensive dives on both LeBron and Anthony Davis. So uh, I've been saturated with, with Lakers defensive footage. And I do think you lose. It's one of those things, Steve, that 
isn't significant in the numbers at the end of the day. But when you're playing in those final two rounds and you lose that ability to be a, a you know a 106 defense instead of a 107 defense, you lose that ability to get what you want in the last five minutes of tight games defensively with knowing what other teams are going to do to you. That that felt significant to me compared to the other guys who didn't come. But that's just, I don't know, I'm spitballing here. No, that's fair. I mean, Avery Bradley was a guy defensively. You could throw him on a lot of different guys for a bulk of time and let him kind of pressure and let the rest of your defense settle behind it. And that's not something the Lakers can immediately replace. So that's a that's a good that's a strong example. And then um, and then the concern I think for many Lakers fans is you might end up replacing too many of those minutes with Rondo and uh you know buckle your seatbelt if if that's the case. So you got to give me your Rondo take. I need it now. <sighs> you, you don't know this about me? I do. I know, but I just want to hear it. Yeah, you know, I've never been uh, super high on on Rajon Rondo. I think he's um, uh, he's been a little overrated in his you're career. Not a, you're not a playoff Rondo guy. That's not what that's not what you're telling me right now. I, you know, I think that was a real thing. If you want to evaluate him at that level, I think for a couple of years there, uh, that was certainly his peak, and he he was much better in the playoffs just at the things he could do. But oh man, please don't take me back to the to the Celtics series where you have this you have this guy you have this ball pounder who can't shoot to punish defenses and basically becomes an offensive liability and then at the same time he's getting overrated on defense because he's a gambler and yes he has great hands but he generates steals going for gambles and why is he going for gambles because he has Kevin Garnett and sometimes Kendrick Perkins behind him ah you've done it you've got it out of me yeah I had to do that I'm sorry um, I think I think Rondo can be effective. The issue is you kind of have to let Rondo be Rondo, and that That's involves it. some of the other things. That's so, it. So yeah, you yeah. have to let him gamble, take those shots, pound the ball, all that good stuff to get the peak out of him that you need. So it's kind of living by one sword and dying by the other potentially. Yeah, exactly. He'll he'll still at this point in his career string together a half or a game where you go, oh, he played really great. He basically won them the game. And then the next eight games, you get to have him pound the ball and, uh, you know, take... The, my bigger problem with it in this context is I think it takes away from LeBron Ball or even the alternate, like, Alex Caruso is not messing stuff up for them. So having other guys touch it in that position always feels like a win, uh, whereas I want... You know, I want a guy like Rondo at this point in his t- career to be quick and decisive and move on versus run the show. We've been we've been stuck on Rajon Rondo too long. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to trigger you. I'm you sorry. You've you've done it. Yeah, you've triggered me. Look, I've been in a protective bubble for a few months. <laughs> let's keep it. Let's keep it moving. I it apologize. doesn't take much. Um, let's finish with this. Is there now a team based on what you've seen and everything we just talked about? Is there a team? let's say a second tier team, not that inner circle, a second tier team that you think could swoop in as a sleeper. I don't know if it's Houston. I don't know if it's Dallas. I don't know if it's Toronto, Boston, but one of those kind of second teams that's clearly a very good team, but isn't going to be at the top of the betting board. Have you seen anything that makes you think, oh, this is more than like a long shot that they could pick off a team or two and make a run? You know, that's an interesting question. I've had a lot of teams in my mind that I've thought, what if they can put a run together? And it started with Toronto 
just because of their versatility defensively and what they can throw at you. And then I bridged that to Houston with the small ball lineup with what they can do offensively, the problems they can cause defensively because they're switching, keeping everything in front. And th- this is all in, if they're right. You know what I mean? This yes. Is a, if, yes. if they're at their peak. So Houston's a team that could cause a problem where you're coming off a long layoff. Now you have to readjust not only to playing basketball, but to now playing basketball against a team that kind of spits in the face of what you're trying to do and is going to switch everything and attack you on the other end. Um, You have a team like Dallas who can just hurt you offensively with their lineups, shooting, spacing, playmaking guards. Um, That's not something that's fun to match up with in the bubble. So I think there's some underlying teams, even a Denver they have the size, the versatility. They have Jokic where they can all of a sudden come together. You, you kind of said something that kind of bridged something into me earlier where a college-type run, right? Right. And a, a lot of these mid-tier teams could find that where I wouldn't be surprised if some of these teams make a real push um, and maybe hurt some of the bigger teams in a sense. Like even the Pelicans, they could just go on a – young guy run and all of a sudden make some noise. I mean, obviously it's just for the eight seed, but you never know who's going to do what. And especially I lean more towards the Eastern conference just because outside of Milwaukee, the levels aren't too high between what two, two through six, two through seven. Yeah. Two through six. I'd say two through six, two through six. Cause you have Orlando who no disrespect is, quality but i don't know if they have the ceiling quite yet um but you look at the rest of them all of those teams could beat each other and all of those teams could pose a problem for milwaukee depending on the circumstances so it's going to be fun to see how these teams come together what happens once these games start counting what the rotations look like how they adjust to that because while we've gotten a taste with these scrimmages, we haven't really seen the full rotations. We haven't seen second halves that truly matter. We haven't seen coaches and teams really going after it that much. You know, we've seen some extended minutes for certain teams at certain times. But it's going to be fun to see what happens when the lights shine back on once again and how these teams respond to the challenges of, oh, this this counts. You've you've got me psyched up. Um you have a few minutes for a post show, Steve. I do. Awesome. I, I'm I'm here. <laughs> I am here today. We're gonna we're gonna uh, switch over to a post show for Patreon listeners. patreoncom basketball. Otherwise, Steve, where can people find your work? Follow you. Uh, now's the time to tell them all that good stuff. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Jones twenty. I am here to flood your timeline with basketball clips and terrible jokes. Thanks, Steve, again for coming on. Also, a big thanks to The Athletic for sponsoring this episode. It is theathletic.com slash pod. If you want to sign up, check out more there. That's a great way to help support the show once again. If you want to check out that post show for Patreons only, that is patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. We have post shows, extra videos that don't make YouTube sometimes. Uh, Discord community where we discuss hoops and historical database. It is a phenomenal way to support this show. Check it out. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I hope that you are all having a great day.